Okay, hi, and welcome to Disability Bites, episode two. I'm now, I'm joined by my journalistic colleague and good friend, Penny Taylor. Hi, Penny. Hi, how are you? Not bad, how's it going? Uh, excellent. Yeah, cool. And now in all these podcasts, we kind of put the world correct, um, but sadly nobody listens to us. I don't know what <laughs> Maybe because we don't get paid enough money, Penny. I'm, I'm not absolutely sure. Um, so in this episode, we're going to speak about uh, employment when we come out of COVID um, for people with um, disabilities. So that, that could be physical disabilities or learning disabilities as well. Um, you, you, you've got to be PC now, Penny. You know, you, you just can't... Inclusive, um, it's called. Yeah. Inclusive, that's a good one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't know if you want to kick off, Penny, about um, pre-COVID. Like, there wasn't a lot, the percentage of people in work was very, very low. But my issue is when we come out of COVID as well, um, I'm not trying to paint a very um, bad picture here. I'm just trying to be... Um, you know, telling the cliff, as it were, um, and stuff like that. So I just wanted to hear your views on that, Penny. Well, I mean, it was really interesting kind of researching into this after you said that you wanted to talk about this. And, uh, you know, whereas we've got 20% of the population of Scotland have a disability, uh, uh, you know, in, in, of some form, um, the employment rates have been staggeringly low. And despite all sorts of chat about doing something to address that, it hasn't really shifted that much. Um, COVID, the pandemic then hit and basically changed our world. It's still changing our world, I think. And you know what, Michael? I think as we, I'm not sure we will ever come out of COVID. I think we'll be living with it. But I think it's taught us some stuff that could serve us really well into the future. I mean, the way that a lot of people are working now has changed so much. You know, you don't have to get on a train and commute two hours into an office anymore. You can be at home uh, in a controllable environment, put your headset on and go for it. That opens opportunities, I think. And maybe what we need is the imagination as a country to make the most of that now for people with disabilities. Yeah, and, and also put people at the forefront of, you know, because um, before we start keep recording this, me and you had a wee week in the chat, and uh, we, I was talking about it's important to put people at the forefront of designing uh, good services, because as, as you know, uh, working as a, as a kind of journalist and specialising in the subject for many years, you can get bad services, but also you can get good services as well. You can. Um, and I think it's incredibly important to involve people directly uh, affected, I suppose, 
in designing anything. That's just a principle that should apply across the board. Sadly, it doesn't yet. And something else that struck me is that there are good practices in bits of the country by the looks of it. You know, I'm, I'm looking at websites and seeing what's happening around the place, but it's not everywhere. So it's mm. kind of like postcode provision, depending on where you are, you know, what support you might get, what's out there for you. And, you know, yes, we're a large, physically a large landmass. But you know what? We're only a five million population. We ought to be able to pull together around this as a country. Let, let's kind of remain some of our first conversation that we had Penny on the first podcast about, okay, it's two different things, uh, but it ties into what you were saying there about Suppose called Rockery about self-directed support. And we're not, yeah. Don't worry, we're not going uh, uh, to get bogged down in self-directed support, but it's a bit like that when you speak about employment, but also about different services as, as well and different um, kind of like support services. Yeah, and once again, when it comes to support into training and employment um, for people with disability, it, it's a patchwork affair. It, it's been really interesting researching this because one of the big issues that has jumped out at me is the transition for young people. Yeah. When they leave school, um, what happens? What happens to them if they haven't got the support to you know, reframe, I suppose, their world around thinking about what do they want to do? What training might they need to do that? You know, okay, hands up. I never went to university and I'm afraid I get a bit knocked at the obsession with university level education being the only measure that we use to gauge success. You know, I'm, I'm really against that. But what about on the job training? What about mentoring? What about apprenticeships? You know, post COVID we're in a world where the skills we need um, are, you know, are starkly uh, outlined. We need people to do lots of different jobs that keep our, keep our society going that have been ignored really largely now. That's an opportunity, surely, to do, because it needs to be fulfilling work. It can't just be, okay, we can take a box, there's a person with a disability and a job, great, we can forget about that. Because another element that's jumped out at me from the research I've done is underemployment. You know, it can be brain crushingly dull to be doing something that you're really bored by. So how do we make fulfilling opportunities for all of us? A wee quick story, Penny, that uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I might have mentioned this on the, the other podcast, but I've mentioned it to you as well, that I'm the local chairperson of my local disability group in East Wren, East Wren for sure, because that, that's where I'm from. And we uh, we set up a subgroup last year to look at transitions um, and, you, you know, um, and I was speaking to some of the parents that's on the subgroup. And she was basically telling me what I went through. Now, I left school about 15 years ago. And when she told me what her daughter's gone through at the moment, I was like, that, oh, no. It's still the same. Nothing's really changed. And you're right about the moving on from school because... 
the school's not very supportive of maybe maybe supportive's not the right word, but they're not giving them the opportunities you would say to to go and work or or whatever. The thing people in college could do to do the course I I done was. Uh, it was modules at the time, so there you go, Penny. I wasn't yesterday that I went to college because obviously it's moved on since since then. But when you finish the two years in college, you just get modules. You don't get a qualification, so you get a big massive certificate with all these kind of Michael done this, 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 this but no assessments or whatever. So there wasn't any positive outcomes. And it's really interesting because I think in the Scottish Parliament there's been attempts, you know, to, to pass a bill that actually calls for support for young people with a disability in at this time, at that transitional period. So you're probably talking about 16 through 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I imagine... If you've been to a school that's been really supportive and held you up, given you all those resources, and then that support is withdrawn, I can't imagine how alone you would feel in kind of like approaching a world of education, higher education or work without someone basically to support you through that. We all need that. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm reluctant to land it on education because I think what we need is a dedicated service, I suppose, to guide folk through that tricky readjustment period between leaving school and starting whatever comes next, which hopefully isn't, you know, sitting in your own house, not going out, not engaging, because that's not mm. good for you. And and I suppose that, you know, um, what we're saying early on, and I'll probably say it later on in other podcasts that we do as well, but, um, you know, I'm sick of saying to people that we need to put people within disabilities front and centre. I mean, I'm not saying not, uh, they're not experts. Nobody's experts. But what I'm saying is they've actually experienced bad practice in their life as well. And if you're going to design a proper service about employment, well, speak to people with disabilities because you said an interesting thing to me, and I've always said this for for years, they always come to people with a, a disability after they design the service where it should be the other way about. They should be working with people to design it. For sure, absolutely. And, and, you know, that seems to be a hurdle that a lot of large organisations are finding it quite hard to overcome because it applies across the board, doesn't it? It applies to communities where change might happen or, uh, you know, in in broader contexts as well. But certainly in terms of disability in this particular issue, um, kind of employability but you know what I think also are we doing enough to encourage and support the fantastic ideas there will be among that community you know uh, th- there are entrepreneurs out there who frankly if you're gonna you know really 
walk this talk, you would be supporting people to set up their own enterprises and businesses based on their good ideas rather than waiting for somebody else to, you know, kind of listen and hear and pick it up and develop it. So for me, and this has been an effect of COVID, my focus is very much on the community end, on community development. Mm -hmm. I've been doing an awful lot of thinking and talking around things like, um, it's called asset-based community mm -hmm. development, otherwise known as ABCD, which is mm -hmm. basically looking at how you can support one another, communities can support each other where they are. Um, uh, you know, you could be training people to address local circumstances. You know, do we need more mechanics? Do we need more care workers? Do we need more plumbers? Or maybe we need a few university professors. Do you know what I mean? But mm. build them locally, build them to meet local need. It's been fascinating. The Glasgow Council for Voluntary Services has been running a series of recorded talks that, that uh, you know, they kindly asked me to chair. And uh, they look at how can we do things differently? And uh, it's really fascinating to think about asset-based community development. It's things like if you're a public service working locally in a community, you should be employing people from that community and training them up to meet those needs. I mean, for instance, if there was a local hospital, think of the jobs that could be created there for people of all, you know, the interests and, and abilities, because we've all got abilities um, in our various ways. And it would be just so wonderful to see opportunities arising with the pub, the spend of public money in Scotland should be going, in my opinion, into communities and not into, you know, uh, the corporate system per se. I think that's a, that's a very interesting point that you make there about uh, entrepreneurs, but also people having, uh, holding down professional jobs. And I mean, I mean, professional jobs as in doctors, nurses, even firemen, you, yeah. you know, well, obviously firemen could be a wee, a wee bit different, um, you know, but uh, these kind of like professional jobs, but you, you hardly see, I mean, you see people in, you know, the supermarkets back in the day when, you know, we were allowed to go out for a coffee and whatever, wiping up the table. But to be honest, I'm not disrespecting people that can do that, but anyone can do that. Yeah, anyone can do that. And I mean, it's going to be, people have so many different circumstances, don't they? You can have caring responsibilities, you can have things that restrict your ability to work in various ways. And I suppose that's why I would caution against our focus always being on how many people get into university and become a doctor. Because mm. actually, vanishingly few of us are going to do that, right? So mm -hmm. what about the other fulfilling jobs? And that's going to vary person by person. What floats their boat? What gets them going? You know, what they want to do um, and what they can do. And it needs to be matched up sympathetically. And those opportunities have to be there. 
I think that leads me on nicely, Penny Gook, a nice, nice segue into what we were going to speak about as well about disadvocate uh, in the media. Now, like, I've known you for a long time, and I haven't spoken about um, if I went to university or, or college or, or whatever. I went to college, as I said, to do a completely different course that I wanted. I wanted to do media. Um, so, really, what I'm trying to see here is I'm not. I'm a journalist, yeah, but I'm not qualified. Like, I've, I haven't got a bit of paper to say that, uh, oh, Michael, Michael's a journalist. Oh. Because, but, yeah, and you, you, might, you might be a bit annoyed with me when I say mm. that. But, no, no, no. I, you're hitting on a real bugbear of mine. Okay. Yeah. When I went into journalism, it was on-the-job training. You yeah. got in... You learned from people that actually did it. Yep. You learned your craft. There was no such thing as a media degree. And well, um, yep. I personally think that that made for a much more egalitarian industry. People came in from so many different fields. And if you were good at it, you could go on and excel. It didn't depend on whether you could pass a degree or not. And I feel very passionately that people have to have the opportunities, whichever way they come at it. I finally found your pal then, Penny, because I'm about that as well, because, um, you know, this is my personal opinion and you can disagree with me or, or you know, whatever, um, about... If you if I went to college for a job and uh, a a degree or a, a qualification in the media, right? It's only given me a bit of paper with my name on it, but that's not gonna guarantee a job, you know. Absolutely and not, no. and the other thing as well is you're right because media is very different. Um, Depends on what part you want to go, whether it's TV, radio, or being like a journalist, uh, writing papers or doing blogs or whatever. I had to learn on the job, and that's the way that you're going to get experience. And I suppose uh, when you were at school, that when you had work experience or when you went to college or go out and place, and that's, that, that's how you're going to learn, not sitting at a desk and yeah, you know, stuff like that. Well, um, obviously, understand. that's my opinion, but, you know. I can understand the reasons why, you know, it has been more formalised. I mean, you do need to know, for instance, media law. Yeah, the stuff you would learn doing um, a, a course qualification that you'd kind of, you know, cram the experience that I gathered over years working alongside seasoned journalists, which is how I learned it. Um, so I, I get why there are kind of some core competencies, because it's very dangerous if you don't know media law and uh, you, know, you can get yourself into terrible trouble mm -hmm. and your employers. Um, so it's, it's well worth knowing that stuff. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't be uh, trained specifically to do that job. But it's it's the access to that training and then the access to those jobs that has changed since my day. It's, 
I mean, it's still a meritocracy because you don't make it as a good journalist unless you are good at it. And people still come at it from so many different fields. I mean, I know journalists who have been teachers and and nurses and um, care workers, and they're good. They're good. And in fact, you know, bringing that kind of perspective to the job is really important. One of the statistics I found when I was thinking about what we were going to be talking about today was that, for instance, in the broadcast in the broadcast industry, um, evidently, whereas they say that 18 percent of the population has a disability, they say that only five percent of off screen roles roles are held by a person with a disability. Now, there is absolutely no reason on this earth why there should be that disparity in the figures. I mean, maybe we really need targets here. You know, maybe maybe we need targets for employing people and we can hold people to account on whether they are inclusive. Because frankly, 20% of our population is a large chunk of our population. If you aren't reflecting those people's experience, you are not inclusive. Yeah, I mean, that's a big bugbear of mine as well, because obviously we are kind of like journalists as well. But to be honest, that's been the same for many years. And, you know, and it's terrible. It's getting slightly better now in terms of... um, you know, like people in soaps with a disability and people reading the news and, oh, and panel shows. We're yeah, yeah. To see it change publicly, but behind the scenes, what's happening? Because that can yeah. be window dressing, and you know, I'm my jury's out yet. They, they, I don't know if I told you this, Penny. Uh, the other week, um, it was uh, at, um, at the Edinburgh uh, TV Festival. It was actually a, a talk by Jack Forn. Now Jack's uh, Jack's got a disability, and his kind of like um, talk at the uh, TV festival was specifically what we were talking about there. And it was also speaking about uh, well, the whole media, right? So he was talking about radio, TV behind in front of the camera, behind in front of the microphone as well, but also kind of like um, movies as well, kind of like films as well. And what he was saying was an an interesting thing to me because the the percentage of people with a disability is going for like um, casting roles are very, very slim. But when people get called up to go for the, the casting roles, the building is not accessible and also does not get any accessible toilets. So, you know, you, you've, you've got to think about all these kind of things before you, you actually call upon people with a disability to come up to, to cast for, you know, different roles as well, you know, and there's more obstacles, more hoops to go through as well. But I would recommend it if no one's, What's getting was very interesting. He spoke for like 45 minutes and he spoke about all these kind of different perceptions as well. It's, yeah, I mean, fascinating. Is that on YouTube or something? Then? Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the link. Yeah, yeah, great. Because, I mean, that's a serious issue. I, I mean, my heart sinks when you hear that buildings aren't accessible to people with disability. You know, why? 
in the 21st mm. century is that even allowed I, I would have thought it was illegal mm -hmm. um but you see that's an i mean yeah okay if you're an actor you've probably got to turn up for you know your mm -hmm. auditions and all that but for most of us i'm wondering what opportunities covid has brought us by breaking that link necessarily between employment and presenteeism you know the sense that you've got to be there you've got to be seen to be there whether you're doing anything or not mm. um you, you you might have to commute that's going to cut off opportunities for an awful lot of people yeah whereas if they can work from home with support the way that we've shown that it can be done then maybe that opens up all sorts of opportunities but we need to be we need to be um, open to that. You know, there's such a pull at the moment for me, I'm sensing to kind of like going back to how it was before, you know, let's, that's horrible phrase, build back better. No, let's build it differently. We've got an opportunity to do it properly this time. And yeah. I, I'm, I heartily endorse you, Michael, by saying you cannot even begin to think about that, people, until you're involving the people directly affected. And in this instance, we're talking people with disability right from the beginning. How hard is that to understand? Do you know what I mean? Well, give us a, give us a, a wee quick story before you finish off. And you know, Penny, I can tell millions of stories. One, one of my... Job. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my job, yeah. Um, so you, um, yesterday, well, when you listen to this, it not be, I'll not be yesterday, it'll be weeks ago. But um, So I went to my first physical meeting, um, not to do with my work, to do with, um, I'm on the board of another organisation, and and if I, if I wasn't on enough boards, but anyway, that's, that's a conversation for another different day. And one of the persons was on the board to get make it. And what we did was we had four people in the room and one person on teams. Now, I know it's not ideal. You want all the pe people to be in the room. But yeah. that's... Yeah, but, but that's what I was just going to say. That's what's going to happen when it comes to you know, when you go back at hosting events or, or whatever, where you, you're going to have the percentage of the audience in the actual room, and the people from Aberdeen um, will basically go Zoom or Teams in, because A, it's you, you spend most of your day travelling to Aberdeen, because I, I didn't know how far up the road it is, and B, you're, you're saving the organisation money as well. And it, it just it it works on so many levels. I mean, we're about to have COP26, the climate conference in Glasgow, right? If you can avoid unnecessary travel to go to meetings, frankly, most of which don't really achieve that much for all the effort that gets put into them, then it, it's a, it makes so much sense to me. Our blended world is here to stay. Those that can or want to or must meet face to face, great, do it. Those that, that can't or don't want to absolutely have to have that opportunity. For me, 
the the ability to join meetings um, and conferences and discussions by some kind of online technology is about opening up access massively. I've taken part in discussions where 300 people have joined in who would never have mm. been able to get to, for instance, Edinburgh on a Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. You know, I don't want to go back to those days. I don't know about you. I want to open the access to this thinking as far as possible. And for me, that means harnessing, using, making the most of the technology we're using right now. I think uh, be before we finish up, um, yeah, um, I wasn't going to say this, but now that you mentioned it, um, I was reading an interview the other week and uh, they were saying to me, they were saying in an interview that working from home actually suits disabled people better because as you say who wants to go to Edinburgh at nine o'clock in the morning but if you've got a disability you might have a support worker but the support worker's not able to get to your house till 10 o'clock or half 10 and then when you're there you're only there a few hours and then the support worker goes right Michael 10 to go home and I'm well, it's only half two in the afternoon. Whereas if you're sitting in front of your laptop, okay, you might not be physically next to the person, but you, you could be speaking to them, you could still see them, and also as well, if you need you know personal care like the toilets or whatever, you've got that in the house. So, you know, um, so it's a new way of working, but I think it's a, a better way of working for people with disability as well here's hoping so anyway yeah i think so i think it opens up all sorts of opportunities and we've just got to be creative about how we use that and i'm actually quite excited about the prospects for inclusion that that these technologies offer but i tell you something as well a, a, a question that i want to know is in terms of employability and people with disability how much of the public buck is being spent actually being inclusive and bringing people into those jobs. I mean, for instance, we've got what well, the new Social Security Scotland organization being set up, centered in Dundee, great city. Um, 2000 new jobs heralded. How many of those are mm. going to be taken by people with the disability? I think that would be a great test of progress. Let's see whether the publicly funded jobs that we've got in Scotland that we desperately need people to fill, let's see how we can connect people that want to do those jobs who have a disability with those jobs and make that link. Now that for me, you'd start to see progress. Now, obviously there are going to be people with disability who cannot or don't want to, yeah? Mm -hmm do the jobs that are offered to them or, or you know, that are available to them. And we, we mustn't stigmatise those people either in this because there are some people for whom, you know, a job, be it online or face-to-face, -face, is not an option. But for those that it is, let's do more to try and help. For instance, young people leaving school, how can we hold them up? How can we help them? you know mm. discover what they want to do i mean michael when you and i met it was via twitter yeah mm. and you were starting out in this game <laughs> mm. and uh, you know i was trying to respond helpfully you know what do i know what can i do to help and you reached out actually you were brilliant you reached out and asked those questions and we connected 
and it, you know, here we are now. It's mm. brought me a great deal of joy. Uh, you know, I've learned so much. So it's a two-way street. Uh, you know, th- this is this is it's it's an important relationship that we've built digitally. Mm. We yeah, haven't met in person, have we? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that, that's what we have because I know this is a different subject as well, but. Um, so I, I, I've been, uh, I'm involved in this bit of work called Stay Up Late. You might have. Ah, I like, uh, I like it. Yeah, we're speaking about it. But it's weird because even though one of the women's on the committee, I haven't physically met her yet. And that's a bit like me and you. But don't worry, I'll buy you a cup of tea one day. Oh, sorry. But um, I don't feel like, you know, our connection is any weaker. No because we'd communicated yeah. via Twitter and this, right? Mm, yeah. So I suppose I just call into question that we have to do this physically or not at all. Um, mm. I think we've shown that we can do it any which way we please. Yeah, I think that's a good point to finish on uh, as well, Penny. Um, but what we're basically saying is put people front and centre in design services, but also get more people into jobs because we don't want to be sitting here next year speaking about the same thing we spoke about last year. And that's why you're pressing. Of course, you know, given the post-Brexit world and the post-current COVID world, (laughs) you know, there is a danger that people can get left out Mm -hmm. and we've got to make sure that doesn't happen. And forgotten about. And forgotten about. And forgotten about. And um, that mustn't happen. That mustn't happen. No. It doesn't have to happen. Well, thanks, Penny. It's brilliant to speak to you. And we put the world to break again. Once so we're, again. <laughs> we're doing well. MBE's Kirsten. I'll see you soon, Penny. Bye. Lovely to talk to you. Bye-bye.